Welcome to the Upper Left Performance. I am your host, Jack Anderson, and today on the show we are joined by Devin McConnell and Stephen Volek, both members of the New Jersey Devils hockey organization in the NHL. Devin is the director of performance and a reconditioning coach in New Jersey, while Stephen is the head strength and conditioning coach for the AHL affiliate of the Devils in Binghamton. And these guys were good enough to come onto the show to discuss uh, their working relationship and how they are um, working towards developing uh, a model between the AHL and the NHL to ensure that all players are given the development and performance enhancements that they need. When you work in a professional organization, you just have so many resources at your disposal. And it was really cool to hear uh, all the interactions, dialogues, and relationships that they've built within their organization to ensure that things are running smoothly. Uh, really appreciate these guys coming on to discuss this together. Um, honestly, I don't think this happens often on podcasts, so I was really thrilled to be able to bring two guys from the same organization on to discuss their overarching philosophies on getting this thing called performance right, especially at the professional level. And we'll just jump right into it from here. Hopefully you enjoy this discussion that we had with Devin McConnell and Stephen Volek. All right, gentlemen, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, just briefly, I'd like to love to hear just both your guys' backgrounds, uh, just kind of how you came up in the, in the field a little bit quickly, and then we'll dive into the, the meat and potatoes of it. But Devin, we can start with you, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having, having us on. Uh, Devin McConnell, Director of uh, Performance Science and Reconditioning with New Jersey Devils. Uh, prior to this, I was the head of uh, performance science um, with uh, the UMass Lowell Riverhawks ice hockey team for just about nine years. Uh, I'd been there as the, in a couple different kind of roles, but essentially as the, the head strength coach and, and performance scientist with them uh, for that time. Uh, before that, I worked at uh, Stanford University um, for three, I think three years, uh, kind of at the start of my, my career, uh, worked with women's basketball, men's women's volleyball uh, during that time, and then really kind of got my start in the field. Uh, I went to school in, in Massachusetts, and, and so I got my start in the field as an intern and then working uh, for a year for Mike Boyle at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. So that's kind of been my, my professional path kind of through the ranks. Awesome. And then Steve, how about you, man? So Steven Volek, I'm the head AHL strength coach um, for the New Jersey Devils AHL team in Binghamton, New York, the Binghamton Devils. Um, I just finished up my third season with the team. And before that prior, I spent uh, about two and a half years at Yale University working with their men's hockey team. Um, before that, I was working at the University of Minnesota with uh, men's women's ice hockey, baseball, women's golf and men's track and field and was there for probably about two years or so as well. And then before that, um, it's a little bit difficult to track, but I bounced around quite a bit. Um, I started interning at the University of Minnesota in 2010 and then spent about two academic years at the University of Finley in Ohio as uh, an assistant and then also spent like a season with the uh, Minnesota State Mankato um, as a strength coach as well, working with their hockey programs. Yeah, so, I know, been a little bit all over. Yeah, I know, I know the, uh, I know the traveling thing. I totally get it. So that's awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah, and then in, in some, uh, some, some volunteer roles, I, I like, I spent some time with uh, Bridgesh at Quinnipiac, and then also Jim Schneider at the University of Wisconsin. Awesome. Okay, so um, the main reason I wanted to bring you guys on was just to kind of discuss. You go obviously both work for the same organization. Um, and I'm sure are obviously trying to implement consistent, uh, you know, a consistent global framework of, of your performance model. And um, I haven't really heard anybody else do this. So I was curious to kind of get your guys' input on how you've gone about doing that, especially with the constraint of being in separate locations, dealing with players um, at different levels that might have different needs based on the level that they're at and, um, and so on and so forth with all that. So that's kind of the, the main reason why I wanted to bring you guys on. And I was just curious, um, you know, at the beginning of all this to get your perspective on kind of just some of the basic tenets of your performance model and then go from there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, um, first and foremost, you know, Steve and I have known each other for a long time. He's actually been in the organization um, longer than I have. Uh, so I'm kind of finishing up my first full year um, with the Devils. Crazy, crazy first year. But um, 
Steve's been here for a number of years and, and along with some of the rest of our staff, both in New Jersey and in Binghamton. Um, so first and foremost, I think we have a great relationship. Um, we, we think about training our, our philosophies um, align very well um, and we're very collaborative. So I think that's probably the most important piece of the puzzle, really, when it comes to all this, we can, we can put everything on paper and we can, you know, talk about uh, what we do from a sports science standpoint, things like that. But at the end of the day, like if, if, if all the parties aren't kind of aligned um, and on the same page and, and uh, at least respect each other, uh, if not our, our good friends as, as we are, then I think it's really hard to get done. But that being said, I think, um, you know, it kind of starts again, philosophies are similar. So it really starts. The next step is, is defining what, um, what's important organizationally. What do we want our players, uh, to look like? What is a, an ideal, you know, first or second line center for the New Jersey devils? What's an ideal, um, you know, first pair defenseman look like, or, or even breaking that into, you know, an offensive defenseman, a defensive defenseman, what are our goaltenders, you know, uh, look like. Um, and, and a lot of that is conversations within our department, but a lot of that is also conversations with our GM and with our scouting department and really, um, figuring out collectively, like, what are we, what are we trying to build? Who are we trying to build in, in what areas? And then defining some KPIs around those things. So we have an actual roadmap of, okay, this is what, this is what, you know, we think, a a top three line, you know, forward or winger should be able to do. These are some of the characteristics. These are some of the physical um, parameters that we, we identify as being important. And these are sort of the standards. And that's a big piece of it, I think, is defining, okay, what are the standards so that we can start to work backwards and say, okay, in training, if we know we need to get, you know, these types of players, we want to build them into this uh, and they're first and second year, or third year pros, what do we need to do in training? Uh, to be able to develop those things. Um, and the same thing goes for, for older guys. You know, if guys have been in the league for a long time, we have several, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old vets in New Jersey. Like, what, are those, what have those guys done to have played for 14 years in the National Hockey League? What does that model look like? And then we scale down and say, okay, if we know where we want to get to, we know what those things are, are you know, hypothetically supposed to look like, what does that look like if we, if we get all the way down to the prospect level and the American Hockey League level? And if we know those things, then Steve and I and the rest of our staff can have a conversation, um, including the coaching staff, which is probably most important about, okay, what, what, is, what needs to happen off the ice? What needs to happen on the ice to develop the attributes that we need, um, that, that we've decided are important within our organization? I, I love that. Steve, is there anything you wanted to add? Well, I mean, Devin pretty much uh, hit the nail on the head. He couldn't have said it any better in, in regards to how we have things throughout our organization. But, I mean, again, just like can't stress enough just how important it is to to have a group that's cohesive, that works together. And and I think between, like, myself, um, my assistant, John Williams, and Devin, and then Joe Lawrence, uh, the head strength coach in New Jersey, and then our uh, VP of Athlete Care, Chris Stackwell, like, I think we all – collectively are kind of on the same page with our own unique differences and we we just have a great uh system in place amongst all of us where everybody can kind of voice you know their thoughts and and opinions collectively and we're able to put together a great uh system and in a great series of you know like what we expect from our guys and working with coaches and everything like that um so yeah i mean that's communication amongst all of us is is by far the most important thing out of that and again working with people who are like-minded and you know kind of on the same page now steve i'm actually kind of curious so you you preceded devin then a little bit um have you seen like a change in the, like uh, not that it was negative or initially or anything like that but what have you seen what have you seen change over the last couple of years that you've been with binghamton uh for the better like what are some adjustments you've made to kind of make sure that the everybody's on the same page and, and rolling in the right direction yeah, I mean, I just so when I got here, like I thought, um, you know, things were things were great with the current system. Um, so not starting from a bad place, but I think that they've just continued to progress and get better, um, like communication, especially, but also the kind of resources that have been poured into 
the development of our players and making and having access to certain things to kind of help us as a staff um, make sure that we can, you know, organize our data better, um, have like a cohesive system so that I log something in, like Devin can go see it and then we can have a conversation about it. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing is just, it's been a progression continuing to get better. And a lot of that's been because more has been put into that and more thought has been put into like what the system should be like, you know, like how, like what should the workflow be like, like what is going to get us the best result? Um, now I'm kind of curious too, obviously I think bridging the gap just amongst ourselves as strength and conditioning professionals, like being in different locations maybe, or anything along those lines is tough enough as it is. Um, when you look at the AHL level, for example, then, and just the guys that you're trying to develop as Devin was referencing, um, do you think the, what, what's kind of the helping you the most bridge the gap with your ideas, getting them in their minds in a way that, that they're actually practicing like some of the strategies you're giving them or, or understanding the routines that you're trying to implement to help them either get to the next level or take their game to another, another level. Um, I think a big part of that is honestly what it comes down to um, like as a strength coach in general, and that's kind of building relationships with each guy and getting to know each guy personally and kind of seeing exactly what, makes them tick and what gets them excited and then and being able to work with them and kind of explain you know what we have going on like this is our plan this is why we're doing it this is how it's going to benefit you and each guy like wants to hear things like differently you know like i think a great example of that is we use um heart rate monitor system with our guys as like one of the pieces of technology we use and some guys want to know like everything about it some guys only want to know something small, like how many calories did I burn? Um, some guys want to know, like, what was my trim score? And that's it, something like that. And, you know, for each guy, that's their way of, like, that's – they're interested. So, like, I don't – I'm happy with all of that. I'm happy with the kid that comes and sits down and wants to talk everything and see all the spikes and everything in recovery. I'm happy if the guy's asking me what his calories are burned because, like, those are their – you know, that's their own unique way of showing interest. So like, I think that's the most important thing is getting to understand the personalities that you're working with and, and how to convey that message the best to them. Circling back a little bit to just, you guys are talking about the things that matter to you. Um, you know, I think that was a great like global look at it, but so Devin, what's a few things maybe that would stand out to you that you guys are really trying to hammer home specifically for guys that might be in more of a developmental phase? Yeah. I mean, we kind of, there's two broad categories, I guess, that we, um, we start to break physical attributes down. Uh, and, and a lot of this is, is um, you know, terminology that's been derived from our coaching staff. So I think it's really important uh, to kind of note that we, we have tried to start by having our coaches, having our management, uh, having having the hockey people involved tell us what matters in their words and then try to understand that from a physiological perspective right like it's as strength coaches we all um, we all can geek out on physiology and anatomy and, and all of these things and, and we can have the conversations around all of this stuff but th it's not the same language um, that that coaches and players necessarily speak so having um, conversations with them to understand like what, what matters to you and the things that have come out for us um, for being really important for, for players, um, whether they're forwards or defensemen are, are kind of two broad categories. One is, is what the coaches describe as, as hockey strong. Uh, and the other one is what they, they call, you know, first step or, or first steps fast. Right. And what does that mean? That's acceleration, which is what the, almost every team sport is about. And hockey strong is really about being able to kind of out compete and out physically battle uh, your opponent um, in, in, you know, high contact and high collision areas in the corners, in the front of the net, things like that. So we get them to tell us, okay, we, we want players hockey strong. We want players to be, you know, first step fast. Okay. Let's break that down a little bit. Like what does first step fast mean? We're talking about covering the, the greatest amount of distance and the least amount of time over you know, realistically, probably five meters, five yards, maybe, maybe 10 yards. That's what most of the 
the difference is going to make as far as winning and losing battles. Okay, so then what goes into that from a physical standpoint? Um, and we start to add the pieces of assessment um, and monitoring and technology that we have to start to, to break that stuff down. Like, you know, just very basically, uh, you know, no technology involved. Like, how strong is the athlete? Because we know that, especially in acceleration, um, higher levels of force uh, are going to allow an athlete to at least potentially um, produce higher levels of, of force output in, you know, in our case, on the ice in sprinting. Okay, are they strong? Like, first question, like, are they just strong? Like, we have to define what that kind of is for us. And if they're not, it's a really easy, at least first step to the solution. Like, you've got to get stronger. If they are strong, we start to go down the rabbit hole. Okay, are they powerful? Are they explosive? Is it, you know, and we kind of break this down through a decision tree and we figure out, you know, is it a physical, physiological issue that's sort of a, a strength and addition issue? Is it a, maybe a technical issue where they're strong? You know, when we test them in speed and acceleration, they're fast, but now we maybe break some things down and look at our analytics and talk to, you know, our analytics staff and, and well, they don't read the play well. So they might have the physical qualities, but they are a step behind because they don't read the play well. Okay, so now maybe that's more of a, a, a skills coach issue. Or maybe they have all those things, but potentially it's, a, it's an equipment issue. Maybe we can adjust, we can talk to our equipment staff about adjusting the the sharpness of their blades or, or something to do with their skates, right? So we break all these things down. We try to figure out, okay, what, what is the limiting factor? What's the low hanging fruit for that category? And then on the hockey strong side of things, it's the same, it's the same idea. You know, first off, like, are they strong? We've all had players that are like really freaking strong in the weight room, but the coach is like, Hey, this guy's, you know, weak as a puppy on the eye. Like he gets pushed around all the time. So, well, dude can come in and, and rip four Oh five off the floor for reps you know cold like he's strong he's strong enough like that's strong enough to be a hockey player like it's he's fine so it's not really a physical strength issue it's a xyz is it a you know mechanical issue maybe he's not getting into position correctly or just a, a technical issue maybe he just doesn't again he doesn't read the situation well etc so those are kind of the two broad categories and then again we kind of break that down into a whole bunch of areas and we try to identify what's the, what's the low hanging fruit. And a lot of times, especially, you know, at, at Stevens with Stevens group in the American league, sometimes with, with got new guys coming in, young guys, it's, it's weight room stuff. It's pretty simple. Just get them stronger. Um, but if he's got veterans or he's got guys coming in from college who are pretty well developed um, or, or guys traded from other organizations, maybe it's not that. And so that's where we need to start to look at kind of the next layer of things and figure out, okay, if he's, if he's physically kind of weight room strong enough, but we're trying to improve this very specific thing at the end of the road, what are the limiting factors? And that's where we try to go. I love that too, man. That's, that's an awesome answer, especially like in the absence of technology for, for many of us. I think that's, that's super valuable. And then just kind of in depth, we're talking about with all those conversations, like I've been very like wrapped up right now in thinking about the technical, tactical load and, and all those things that are going to probably take precedence in most people's minds on the sports side of things. And I feel, do you feel do you, like do you find like earlier in your career, did you maybe not get that as much and have less productive, fruitful conversations with coaches because of that? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a natural progression for, you know, people in our field. Um, you know, I started out, my job was strength and conditioning. It was to get people stronger and in better shape. And what does that mean? Well, how much can you squat? How much can you bench? What's your 300 yard shuttle or, or whatever your beep tech, you know, whatever it is. Um, and Hey, I, my athletes, they all, they're jumping higher coach and they're, uh, they're, you know, they're squatting more like I'm doing my job. Well, I think you learn as you go through and you, you, you're in the field longer that, um, and you're reminded like, especially in team sports at, at a high level, like those things, it's not that those things don't matter. But those things matter in context of improving the player's ability to move in their sport. So if they can squat more, but they don't skate faster, and it's not helping them be, you know, quote unquote, hockey strong, well, it doesn't really matter. Like, my job is actually not to make them stronger in the weight room. My job is to make them a better, help them be a better hockey player. So sometimes you got to start to think outside the box a little bit and, and figure out, like, you know, maybe it's not just 
weight room metrics. And, and again, it's weight room metrics are important for a certain population for a large population of athletes. But there's a, there comes a time when those things are not necessarily the most important thing or the lowest hanging fruit, you know, or the limit, limiting factor. And then you need to start to think a little bit outside the box about, you know, what actually is going to improve this person's ability to play the game. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now, um, obviously again, we're, we're speaking without technology, but you guys have the luxury of having some, um, and obviously both of you guys feel free to bounce off each other too. And just shut me up. Like, I'd love to hear you guys just kind of converse a little bit. So if you guys have things to add on to each other, definitely do so. But, um, uh, Steve, I guess for you, you mentioned like the heart rate stuff being one, what else are you guys kind of using, um, to, to measure kind of some of the stuff you're talking about? And maybe what are some of the the variables you're finding, like, I don't know if you guys use force plates or something like that, but maybe something like a certain variable that's kind of, you can draw a parallel between like a hockey strong or first step, you know, acceleration work or anything like that. So aside with uh, having first beat heart rate monitor, um, this was our, my second year having it, but our first full season of having the Connexon GPS system, um, which Devin also has in New Jersey. Um, so we have that. And then we also have a groin bar that we use with guys um, throughout the year uh, sporadically. And then up in New Jersey, Devin, uh, they have uh, force plates that they use with guys, as well as a 1080 quantum and uh, 1080 sprint. Dude, so can I just throughout, come, like, hang out during Corona? I'll just like, <laughs> in your shower or something. Like, through, uh, yeah, throughout the organization, like that's what I've said from the time that I got here to where we are right now, like, things in this past like three years like things have definitely kind of taken off a little bit more and it's and it's a nice luxury to have um but so yeah and i mean the the thing with you know first feet like i've been using it for quite a while devin's familiar with it too um but like the connexon thing was a new challenge because like i had some exposure to like a system like catapult before this but connexon is a little bit different because it's like real-time location GPS like so as the game's going on I'm seeing where the guys are on my computer screen and getting live metrics as it going on and the metrics are pretty in-depth like I mean it's it's distance it's speed and however way like you want to measure it it's strides um and I mean like those are just a few power up but but the thing is when you have a system like that like it takes a while to kind of fine-tune it and 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 find the metrics that work the best for you and like what you want to find out and like what's important to the coaching staff, what's important to performance staff to, to get the most out of it. So I would say we're still fine tuning that a little bit, but it has been really, really awesome to have um, access to and has been, has been really interesting. I would say, especially on my part, like just seeing, you know, the total distance that's traveled in a game um, and like the type of speeds that guys hit, like get consistently. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what I've been the most into. And I, I, I'm jealous of Devin, like having that much time to spend with the 1080 cause he's come up with some pretty unreal stuff from that. It's interesting though, because, you know, in, in some ways, in some avenues, like we have a little bit more technology in, in the NHL, we have the 1080 equipment, we have force plates. Um, but on the flip side of that, some of the rules and regulations, uh, in the NHL and the American league are different. So yes, we also, you know, we, we all are using first beat across the organization. We're all using Connexon, but in the NHL, um, it's voluntary to, for players to use those. They don't have to wear them and uh, they can't wear them in games. So we can only use them in practices if players agree to it. Well, in the American league, that's not the case. Uh, it can be mandatory and it can be, and it is, can be used in games. So while I have access to certain technologies that, that Steve does on a day-to-day -day basis, Steve's got access to, to wearable technology and monitoring practices that are arguably more important in my mind uh, to some degree, or at least in certain areas that, that I don't have. So, um, and then we kind of meet in the middle where we both are using, uh, and this is, a, this is a way that we get around some of the issues of having or not having the same technologies we're both extensively using very basic technology like jump mats in our training to monitor our athletes and to, uh, you know, drive some, some auto regulation when it comes to our power development and, and things like that. Uh, so even though we have force plates in New Jersey, um, we use uh, basic, you know, just regular old just jump mats 
a ton in our training and, and so does so does Steve in the American League. So we're able to compare very much so apples to apples um, with a very basic, you know, kind of low level technology. Um, it was, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Steve. I was going to say it, it's also been what's been great about the Connexon thing, too, is just, yeah, like Devin pointed out, is I kind of have a little bit more freedom with it. So from like an organizational standpoint, it's been great to kind of have this information. Um, from games, you know, like I feel like we're pretty privileged to be able to have that and start to piece together something great. Um, but it's also been good on like the learning side because, you know, Devin has access up to it there, but like we're kind of going through this together. And, and this ties back to like what you first brought up about, you know, the type of um, staff that we have in, in communication and, and everything like that and the framework, because like on a day-to-day basis, like Devin and I will just have conversations. Like I'll shoot him a call, shoot him a text, he'll text me something and be like question about, Hey, this is what this guy's distance was in practice. Like what's yours practice looking like, or, you know, this is what we had in games. Like what is a practice looking up like there and how does that relate? Like, so it's just been a pretty awesome experience to be able to, to both be kind of going through this together and just have that just constant like bouncing ideas off each other. So are you guys like then able, so you can kind of compare practices and stuff. Have you like, maybe picked up on some things that maybe there were some discrepancies like on the tactical load side of things we were able to kind of alert coaches and be like, Hey, like this might not fit like the model that's going on down in the AHL. Like maybe we need to rethink something or something like that. Yeah. I mean, again, like um, those are certainly conversations that, that we have. Uh, one of the really big differences if people aren't familiar with the scheduling in the American league versus the NHL scheduling is exceptionally different. Um, so again, like Steve is able to, from a tactical periodization standpoint, I think in the American hockey league, um, they're able to do a much better job with, uh, varying and undulating and monitoring loads on a day-to-day basis and throughout a week, uh, because their, their game schedule is, is a little bit more spread out and routine. The NHL, you're basically, basically playing every other day. So, uh, it's, it's very rare that you have. Uh, multiple practices in a row and it's exceptionally rare if you have more than two practices in a row Um, it just doesn't happen you're playing three to four games a week so while it's super important to be able to monitor those workloads and practices and and things like that um, the reality is there's not a lot of room for what we would consider tactical periodization and really like um, adjusting workloads in practices it's certainly you know, we want to make sure we're not doing too much or too little, but uh, if you just basically always have one day in between games, it kind of is what it is. Whereas with, with Steve in the American League, they can get a lot more nuanced with that. And that's really important because they can, you know, the, the American League is the developmental league for the National Hockey League. So they can really drive physical development with players uh, by understanding what the physical toll of a game and a practice and a different type of practice and different types of drills are where again at the nhl level those things are important and they're important to relay and to understand and to talk about but uh if you're only practicing twice a week and you have four games um practice is going to be what practice is going to be because it's just that's what it's going to be yeah that's yeah that, that that's a great point and, and i mean also like scheduling aside like we both came from college so we're both very familiar with the luxury of the structure that you have working in college and like Devin said in the NHL I mean aside from all the chaos of playing every other day like you could be flying you're changing multiple time zones like there's so many different factors that come into play where I'm able to kind of put together a framework of you know more often than not okay like we're going to be at we're going to have practice here here and here here throughout the week and then I'm able to look at it and, and go, okay, like we're going to be able to have a lift here, a lift here, a lift here. Like you, you kind of see the same thing over and over again. Like you either have, sometimes you have the luxury of a full week and only two games on the weekend. And other times you might have an entire month where you play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Um, sometimes those are home. Sometimes they're on the road, but like you're able to start to get to like a framework of you see the same thing over and over again. This is what the expectations are. Like, and even you can dive down the hole, even as far as like, this is what our load should be on a week where we travel on a Tuesday. This is what they're going to be like if we're home on a, on Wednesday. So we don't travel. 
this and then like this is what it's supposed to look like if we have games Friday, Saturday, Sunday beforehand. You know what I mean? So that's, a lot a, that's incredible. Yeah, that's actually yeah. Devin, you guys do not have that luxury with an NHL schedule where literally every week could be completely different the entire season almost. Yeah, I mean, it, we we try to model those things and estimate those things, um, but yeah, we don't. It's we don't really know what a game looks like physiologically uh, from either an internal or external um, load standpoint in the national hockey league. Uh, It really hasn't been, you know, fully mapped out. It's never been really allowed. Um, So we can make some guesses. We can, we can, we can use the tools in the preseason. That's not really the same. I was going to, I was going to ask, do you find the, the AHL game loads or the NHL preseason loads have more use for you? Um, Extrapolate. That's a great question. I would say, um, I would say the American Hockey League games. To be honest with you, we know that they're not the same from an intensity standpoint, um, or or yeah, yeah, from an intensity standpoint. I primarily as the National Hockey League, but we can at least um, we can at least kind of scale within reason based on that. Um, the preseason is just so up in the air. You might have one team with 15 prospects and rookies playing another team with 15 veterans. You might have, you know, it just, the preseason is so up in the air. You just don't know. Whereas at least, uh, at least with the American league games, um, you can get a better sense of what that looks like. And then a lot of times when you, when guys move up and down, if we have a guy come up from Binghamton and play with us, well, if we know what he's doing there, we can kind of extrapolate that and see what's the toll taking at this level and what's kind of the difference, and we can start to map that out. So we, 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 we do those things, but we do those things based on modeling, not based on strict hard data, where Steve's able to do that with much more accurate information. Um, I was going to say, too, Steve, uh, you, know, you might have the luxury of uh, – of, um not having the travel schedule that, that Devin has, but he, Devin, Devin doesn't have to go to Utica. So it's a huge, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a huge uh, benefit. Hopefully, hopefully neither of you are from Utica. I'm sorry for anyone listening that's from Utica, but. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I've seen the rink and that's probably all that I really care to. No offense again, <laughs> anybody from Utica. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. So um, I am curious and we're talking kind of about the, the volumes and loads for AHL players. Um, I've talked to a few baseball guys recently and, and actually uh, did a little bit of consulting for the Texas Rangers a little while ago, just on some of this monitoring loads and stuff like that. And uh, one thing I picked up and kind of preparing for that was that baseball players see, especially when they're in like single a low a their training load in the weight room is enormous and they get a lot of time off uh, in terms of like game loads. Um, Like usually they're guaranteed a day off every five days as pitchers, a lot of times they don't pitch every five days if they're starters, like it's every six days. So you're seeing a significantly like reduced workload in the sport. And then as they start to move up, if they are successful in doing so, they start to see that shift and flip the other way. Is that a similar thing to what you would see for like AHL to NHL or am I completely off base with that? Yeah, I mean, we if we're lucky, like we shoot for, you know, like three training sessions a week and if I'm going to go off like what a model week could be for us the biggest one of that is going to be on on Monday um but then like I if we like I said earlier with the schedule like if we play Wednesday um there's a, a chance for a training opportunity after that if we're at home and then like Saturday same thing um I would say we have during those weeks it's guaranteed like one day off during the week which is kind of nice like usually on Sundays but other than that, I would say that, you know, like our, our volume is, is our practice and our game schedule. I mean, like that's like playing Wednesday, Friday, Saturday is a pretty typical week for us. And when you step back and look at it, you're playing three games in four days. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of, of toll. That takes a toll on the guys over like a 70 something game schedule. Devin, will you see, um, uh, again, obviously, I think the, the emphasis obviously shifts as you get to the, the highest level. Um, 
but is there less of an emphasis on having maybe some of those higher intensity output days in the weight room, just given the nature of the schedule? Or is that something you guys still try to prioritize at that level for you guys? Yeah, we actually, I mean, we will try to prioritize high intensity. We will minimize volume and exposure. So we're, we're, Steve in an ideal week is going to get, you know, three exposures um, and probably be able to kind of train at, at least a somewhat higher volume. Um, we're really best case scenario. We're getting two. Um, we want those to both be extremely brief, extremely low volume and as high intensity as possible. Um, so, you know, as a, again, general kind of rule of thumb, like, what we would try to get in are sort of a, a power speed day and a strength day. The power speed day would be early in the week for us, uh, just based on scheduling. Usually this is where we would do a lot of our like force plate assessment work. We get some loaded jumps in explosive type work in, uh, you know, lower, lower load, but higher velocity stuff. Um, and then our, our quote unquote strength day is typically going to be post game later in the week. And again, it's super low volume. It might be two to three, you know, real sets of a really just a, a lower body, you know, for us, like a, a, a roof with elevated split squat, uh, you know, maybe three sets of two or something like that. Um, generally using velocity to kind of monitor and, and adjust on some of that. But, you know, you could call it, kind of call it a 70 to 80% load ish uh, kind of range and some type of upper body pull and core work. So super, super brief, 10, maybe 15 minutes uh, total, just a couple of sets, but trying to really maintain some level of intensity as best as possible. Steve, are your sessions uh, longer, longer than that? Or again, are you kind of a little bit hamstrung just based on like practice loads and stuff like that? I would say I left the beginning of the week, like Devin said, is, is for sure going to be able to be a little bit more in volume um, and like also intensity. But kind of after that, like I said, most of the time we're also training after games. So it's kind of following the same thing of we're just trying to hit like our big rocks after games. The intensity can be there if it fits the schedule, but the volume definitely isn't. Um, but one thing that I did fit in this year quite a bit that I was pretty happy with, even like on that typical week, like if we were at home or even not like Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, if it made sense, I'd throw in some like like a small like neurocharge lift for the guys on Thursday um some hurdles some plyos you know some med ball stuff hex, hex bar jumps and the guys seemed to like that a lot and seemed to uh even if we had like a little bit of a later bus ride Wednesday like you know guys would come in and and if they needed a day then sometimes they would have a day on Thursday but if not then they kind of hit that a little bit and they I like got great feedback on that and I thought that we were actually helped on for Friday Dude, uh, Burgess was talking about that too. He, uh, he turned me on to those. I started messing around with them. I already kind of like, you know, obviously we've talked a bunch, Steve, and I'm super into like the sprint game and, and doing a lot oh, yeah. of stuff with that. But um, I've always been live. Like I love those little like microdosing sessions of like high intensity, low, low volume type work, especially with unloaded or like ballistics. And uh, the Burgess ones where he just times them, it's like eight minutes and you just get as many rounds in as you can of one jump, one throw, like a 10 yard sprint couple reps at each station like dude i've almost started using that as like warm-ups for like a heavy training session it's better than like any normal dynamic warm-up i'll do i really enjoy them so yeah, we did that a lot kind of how that, sorry go I ahead say, yeah i was gonna say yeah that's kind of how i did it actually like sometimes i would i would limit it on how many times through but basically like i would you know regulate it so that there's like nobody's doing like more than they should be but yeah the timing thing seems to work really well yeah, we did that a lot in uh, when I worked in the in the college setting. Uh, same ideas, like our at college hockey has a similar schedule to the American Hockey League. So our Thursdays going into the weekend, we would have, you know, a brief, uh, you know, three three kind of rounds of of uh, plyo med ball kind of stuff. Uh, and and it, interesting again, it doesn't completely fit day by day in the NHL for us at at this point at least. But we'll have a fair number of guys that will do something similar to that as part of their pregame um pregame warm-up you know they'll hit a couple we have a few guys that'll hit a couple of relatively heavy rfes some plyos maybe something with the the 1080 quantum for a kind of a high force 
and then some sprints and things like that just to get that neurological punch. Yeah, I, uh, I, dude, I, I can't say enough about them. I, I really enjoy them uh, quite a bit. Now, Devin, circling back, you mentioned the four, like you're on your, your high output day in the weight room, albeit short, you're using some force plate uh, analysis there and stuff like that. Um, are there any KPIs you're looking at in particular? Like, for example, I know I've heard like Eric Renahan talk about um, eccentric braking. He looks at that one a ton and then uh, net concentric impulse, I want to say. Are you looking at anything similar? I know the terminology kind of gets jumbled between force plate companies, but yeah, yeah, and and uh, we use a different company than than Eric does. I'm really familiar with his work. I actually used that company when I was in the college <laughs> setting. Uh, so Eric and I talked a lot about that. Uh, the the system we're we're using now, to be honest, primary the main KPI out of what we're using with what we have at this point is really using it as a um, an injury preventative or kind of a, a red flag indicator uh, and or a return to play baseline uh, relative to left and right asymmetries. So that's the, the biggest thing that we use that for is just to make sure like whatever our, our guys' baselines are at camp um, that they're kind of maintaining or if they're not very good, we're trying to improve that left-right asymmetry both eccentrically and, and concentrically. Uh, and then if somebody does get hurt, whatever that injury might be, like that's a big piece of our return to play is, is getting them close back to what that baseline is. And general, again, rule of thumb, it's nothing set in stone, but you know, we say anything under 10% left to right asymmetry is a wash is fine. It's, it might as well be even 10 to 20 is like, okay, kind of yellow light, like take a look, you know, is this just what they are or is this a change? And then anything over 20 is, is kind of a red flag. So we use it that way, but then we do look at uh, relative uh, uh, force, average force output and power output as KPIs from a kind of in that, like I talked about earlier, that decision tree as far as, well, are they weight room strong? Yes. Well, do they produce force on force plate? Um, in, and we have kind of our, our numbers, there, you know, is there force in their power output, um, you know, where it needs to be, yes or no. And so that kind of falls into our line. So as far as a KPI, it's kind of left, right asymmetry, and then it's, it's uh, uh, force and power output. We have some specific numbers we're looking for. What do you see? Uh, I'm curious. I'm taking Matt Jordan's force plate course right now. What do you see um, in terms of in a counter movement jump, for example, with someone who maybe is like post-op? And I don't know. Maybe you don't have experience with this. Um, what do you see for guys that are coming on a return to play scenario? Like let's say they have a knee issue in a jump. Are, are you seeing certain parts – where there's more asymmetry than others in certain phases of the jump or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I know Matt's worked uh, really well. I've taken those, some of those courses and, and talked with him. Um, and fortunately I haven't had a ton of, of sort of uh, ACL good. or major knee <laughs> yeah. issue return to play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, we, you know, certainly when we've had guys with some type of lower body, um, you know, injury, foot, ankle, knee, whatever that might be. Um, and we see some, you know, it, I guess the short answer is it's different for everybody. Uh, sometimes it's a concentric, you know, force output. Sometimes it's a, a decelerative uh, issue. Sometimes it's, um, you know, it's just a, a major weight shift. It, it, can, it can kind of manifest different ways, uh, at least with the, the case studies that I've had uh, here. Um, so it's really about knowing, knowing what they looked like before and then identifying what's off. Okay. You know, and, and if it's, if they were, you know, a five to 7% asymmetry eccentrically, um, when they were healthy and now all of a sudden they're a, a 17%, you know, right side asymmetry, uh, as they're kind of going through return to play. Uh, okay. So we know that we have some kind of eccentric, uh, deficiency on that side. Let's figure out if, is that a motor control? Is that a force output? Like, what is that? what is that? And we start to dig into it, but that's, that's where we're kind of looking. So a lot of it is, is almost useless if you don't have baseline. I think baseline is, is crucial. Yeah. Yeah, you can make some, again, some rules of thumb, like those, those percentages, you know, those are from talking with, with Matt Jordan, like generally speaking under 10%, uh, you're, you're, you're good 10 to 20, blah, blah, blah. So those are rules of thumb. Um, but yeah, like you, you're going to have guys that are, you know, we have players that are, um, uh, a 14%, you know, left side asymmetry eccentrically when they're healthy and they're, you know, 
and they're fine and everything's okay. And it's like, okay, that's who you are. And we can tinker with that. We might want to pay attention to that. But at the end of the day, like you're able to play in the national hockey league. You don't have any other major discrepancies. Like this is just, you're just kind of, this is who you are right now. Now we know that if you're injured and you're 15%, eh, it's no big deal. This That's who you are. If you're injured and you're 25%, well, that's a big difference based on where you came from. So having those baselines is important. Absolutely. Now, do you guys test everyone in the preseason or like in like training camp? Yeah. So the whole, you know, essentially everybody we have in the organization at that point will get tested. Um, and so we'll have baseline information on everybody, whether they're, you know, on, on the, the, the New Jersey club, whether they end up in Binghamton, in our American or in our uh, East coast hockey league team, uh, or if they're, they're a prospect and they end up going back to, to junior hockey or to Europe or wherever they are. So we'll have at minimum, we'll have a couple of baseline measurements, um, not just on our force plates, but through our kind of our whole testing battery. So if, and when guys come back or, or for Steve in, in the American hockey league, we'll have those numbers for guys. So I'll ask both of you this then based off of that. Um, you, you just mentioned like force and power outputs that you're, you're collecting off of this. Um, are you using any of those metrics that you get at the beginning of the year, especially for your developmental players as like guidelines to how you're going to all like individualize training to some extent at the AHL level? Yeah, I would say, I would say a little bit, um, still kind of working towards like where I would like it as far as the system goes, but it's definitely beneficial to have that information of like, okay, this guy, you know, has a little bit of a force deficit and more specifically, like this guy is a little bit of a velocity deficit. Um, if we're talking about training and then as far as the, um, like what Devin talked about with the asymmetries, that's, I mean, that's just, it's helpful to know, like, like, I mean, unfortunately I don't have a way to like, let's like, you know, maybe somebody gets injured, uh, during the season and you know we like i it would be helpful to like have them return to play if i had access to that but i mean it is good to know so that i can like keep that into consideration like in training especially if someone like let's say they got tested in training camp after recovering throughout the summer then that's like something to keep an eye on um the other question i had about that too is, is if you this is always the tough one. And I don't know if there's going to be a direct, an easy answer. I just love to get your overall thoughts on it. But whenever I kind of like think about it in this kind of like a little more granular sense of like, okay, this guy obviously has like elite level of force for where he is as a hockey player, but his power is a little bit deficient. Do you ever worry about like, well, if I take him too far away from what these numbers are telling me, will that cause like adverse effects in just how he feels physically or his game in some respect or anything like that? Um, I mean, the way that I look, I look at it is, is, you know, you, you kind of want guys to be at a certain range, but me personally, like, yeah, you have like certain KPIs that you want them to meet and that they should meet, but also at the end of the day, to some extent, like you're not like chasing numbers for numbers sake. Like it comes back to like what Devin said is we, we want to use all the tools and the technology and everything that we have to put the best hockey players on the ice, not the best weight room guys. So I think it's also, it's also somewhat dependent on, you know, who the player is, meaning at at what stage of their career are they? Um, Are they, are they a player who's just entering pro hockey, whether that be in the American hockey league or or in the national hockey league, who is very much, you know, physically developmental Um, in, in that case, we may look more towards um, identifying and training weaknesses and trying to bring up, bring up weaknesses. Is it a player that's a, an eight, a 10, a 12 year pro? We may think more about trying to maximize strengths, right? If it's an older guy that's been in the league for a long time or, or just been in pro hockey, um, there's a reason why they're still there. Let's try to, let's try to maximize what they're really good at to help them be able to do what earns them money and helps them contribute to the team. Whereas if it's a younger guy uh, who's, you know, physically undeveloped or, or has some room to grow, not that we don't want to try to improve on, on strengths, certainly, but uh, there may be more room from a, a development of, of kind of limitation standpoint that's going to benefit that individual over the long term. And there's not necessarily a, an exact science to that. I think it's a, it's a lot of communication, a lot of sort of 
discussion around uh, how do we how do we identify those things and, and what do we kind of work off of. But you know, like Steve said, I think the end goal is to not just chase numbers, but to identify what's important uh, for that individual within kind of our system and within our within our framework uh, to try to maximize those things. Yeah, I I it, I like that you guys are saying this too because sometimes I'm I can be very subjective. Like that's kind of just I like concepts and get excited with them and stuff like that and sometimes i shy away from standards because i feel like sometimes it leads us down that path that you guys are both referring to but at the same time like having some baseline you know i forget this especially as developmental i love that you kind of put it that way Devin. like if you have a developmental player that's just woefully below like a basic standard that you have said doesn't have to be an elite standard for something like obviously that can be some low-hanging fruit that we can pick up there yeah. And I think, you know, and honestly, it's, it's, I guess it's that age old question in our profession, like how strong is strong enough. Right. And you, you know, you can relate that to any quality, how fit, how fast, how whatever. Um, but I do think it's helpful identifying at least what in general, what those things are, you know, like we have a, we have a, a standard, we have a, a line for how strong is strong enough in the rear foot elevated split squat. And, is that an exact science? Is that exact for everybody? Is that perfect? No, I, it's, it's, a, it's a heuristic. It's a rule of thumb. But we generally know, you know, based on experience and based on data, that when players kind of reach that threshold, that more is not necessarily bad, but more isn't necessarily better. It's not necessarily going to make them faster or like we go back to, you know, hockey strong. Like, they're, yeah, you're strong enough. Like, the level of, of physical force output and strength to play professional hockey, uh, depending on position, it is what it is. Like you, you're not a line. You don't need to be a linebacker. You don't need to be a, a power lifter. It's not what the game is. Uh, there are levels that you need to be at. So if, if a guy is woefully below that, then all right, we can pretty much assume uh, that getting him a little bit stronger and, and those numbers aren't extraordinary by any means, but we get him up to kind of, acceptable that's going to help and anything over that like yeah you know what maybe that's not really going to help that player's game because he's a he's a high skill forward and it's just more strength is not really a big piece of that game it's not going to make him faster he doesn't need more to be able to battle etc etc so why don't we work in another area but having those general rules of thumb within our organization allows us to communicate within our department you know, up and down from Binghamton and, and New Jersey. It helps us communicate out to our prospects, to our, our college and our junior players, that this is what it is to be in the National Hockey League for us. This is what's important. And so while they're, they're by no means, you know, perfect or exact numbers um, and not a perfect fit for everybody, I think they at least provide a framework that we can all have the same, uh, we can start to talk the same language and have the same kind of thought process what this will be my last question i think here but um what in in your guys's minds um because you've been around I, I think just a large cohort of hockey players what is the some separating factors in your mind between what gets some guys to that like highest elite level and then where they are you know at, at in the ahl or college and maybe they just never quite quite reach that level because i i know again very broad question but i feel like there's there's a number there's got to be a large number of players that potentially have what it takes to get to that level. And for whatever reason, they just don't. So what are maybe some separating factors you see that get, get guys over the top? Um, I mean, this is probably like on a very base basic level, but um, like how we've talked about the American hockey league is a developmental league. And I think a large piece of that, especially for some of the younger players that come in is figuring out how to take care of themselves to be able to last like not only one, you know, 76, 82 game season, but do that for 10 years, maybe longer. And, you know, like a, a kid coming in who's 20, 21 years old that maybe didn't have the type of structure that, that a player in college would, if they were a junior kid, like learning how to do the basic stuff, like day in, day out, like, a, like come in the weight room, you know, do all the things that's asked of you to take care of yourself. Um, you know, I think that goes goes a huge, huge way in, in setting yourself up for for a career. I mean, there's like been a couple of veterans um, that I've been around that, 
you know, they're 35, 36 years old and still playing and they do the same thing, the same, like, you know, maybe not the same routine, but they're always taking care of themselves. Like they're one of the first guys to come in the weight room. Like, so I think that goes a long way on like a very basic level, honestly. Yeah, I will absolutely echo that. Like, I think the reality is it's, it's way less of the, you know, hopefully the, the, the right and wrong people are not listening to this, but it's way less of the, the weight room stuff, honestly. Like, like in our organization, again, I'm, I'm, we're really fortunate because I think we have unbelievable staff like up and down the chain. Um, a player comes to Binghamton, like I have, there's no question in my mind, like Steve and John are going to get that player strong enough to play in the National Hockey League. That's not, it's not like a, I don't need to, you know, micromanage. I don't, I don't need to do anything with Steve. Like Steve's, Steve's a, a hell of a coach. Like that's getting done. That's no problem. Um, I think the separation you really see is it's like, it's exactly what Steve talked about. It's, it's learning to manage um, professional game because it, from the outside, it looks glamorous and there's parts of it that maybe are from the inside. It's a freaking grind. Like it is hard, 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 hard every day. Um, and learning how to manage that so that you can perform, not just survive, but can you perform late in the season, in your second season, in your fifth season, your 10th season. Um, and then honestly, I, what I see as being the difference maker between longtime pros in the American Hockey League uh, and, and guys in the national hockey, you know, guys that just, they've played, they've played games in the NHL, but they're kind of a, for the most part, they're American hockey league guys, but they've also done that for eight, eight or 10 years. There's just a, it's not, it's not necessarily intangible, but it's just a skill. And it's a, it's a, it's a hockey sense thing. They just read, they don't necessarily read the play as well as, as some other guys. Um, and I don't know how much of that is teachable. Those are things we're trying to talk about and figure out. Um, but there's almost nobody, you know, at least with us in our organization, nobody that's been in the American hockey league for a year plus, you know, maybe guys that are just entering, but once they've been with, with Steve for a year or more, like they're physically able to play in the national hockey league. That's not the issue. It's just the, it's the mental it's the reading the play. It's the understanding the game and being ahead of things. It's just the NHL game is just so fast um, that being able to process information is probably uh, the difference maker for a lot of guys. Is that That's, one of the, uh, Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I was going to, I was going to go off of Devin's point there. That's also an unbelievably huge part. Like uh, that, like when I first started after my first season, someone asked me, well, you know, like, what's the, like, what's the biggest difference from watching professional hockey on like a day-to-day -day basis to working in college? And by far the first thing that I said, referencing the American League was one, how much faster it was. And two, like the skill level um, in college. I mean, there's, there's some situations where if like, let's say in the neutral zone, there's a bad pass or something like that. The entire game will shift back the other direction where in our league, there could be a bad pass and the player's that skilled to be able to control it or recognize, you know, where a teammate is to be able to keep the play moving. So let's take that and then go even further to the NHL. And that's where Devin's point about, you know, guys that can just slow the game down and they see the game a different way about like just how important that is. Because, you know, like you go watch an NHL, like now watching an American League hockey game for so many years, then I watch an NHL game. And yeah, that is so much faster, but like small things like the way it like, you know, like power play and stuff in the zone and like defensive strategies, like it's all even more precise and guys are just able to read the plays better. Like it's just that much more of another level. And that's kind of referring back to what you're saying. Like, obviously you don't have data, data on um, in-game uh, like GPS or anything like that in the NHL. So you, it's kind of, I was talking to a guy in the Ducks the other day about this. Like you kind of have limited, um, limited insight into like just how demanding it is from an internal external load perspective because of, because of those differences you're referring to. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah, we just we we extrapolate and we model and we 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 honestly we guesstimate the physical load, um, but we don't. Yeah, more or less, we don't really know. There's there's a few cases out there, but across the board and across time and you know historical data, it just doesn't exist. Um, unfortunately, um, we do have the the benefit though of um, you know having having analytics. Uh, you know, some really kind of intense and in-depth analytics that don't give us the, the physical uh, metrics, but start to paint the picture of, again, what Steve and I are talking about of like, what's the difference? Like Steve's, you know, Steve said like, guys, guys don't miss a lot of passes, even if it's a bad pass in the American Hockey League. There, there's no missed passes in the NHL. There's only missed passes in college. <laughs> You know, so it's like, you kind of work yourself up the chain. And, Don't and, even get them started on Pee Wee. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you know. Is there hey, a and, out there? Yeah. And, and college hockey is tremendous. I, I worked in college hockey for a long time. We both oh, did. Yeah. And, and, and I love it. It's tremendous. But the level is just, it's just insanely different. But, you know, so again, like the, 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 the physical metrics that we might be associated with in other sports, you know, in, in, in rugby and in, you know, basketball and soccer and blah, 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 uh, that, that our people in our field are used to working with, uh, we have less access to that. Um, but we're gaining more access in, you know, the, the kind of analytics standpoint. So being able to collaborate with that group and with those people in our, in our organization is, is starting to become very important because we can start to ask some better questions of them and they can ask some questions of us and we can start to maybe, paint some other pictures that that haven't been painted before and this is like like Corsi and um just like just um like zone starts and stuff like that is that kind of along the lines of what you're talking that, about yeah i mean that type of stuff uh and every organization is different has different people and has their own proprietary stuff uh but yes uh some very you know potentially in depth uh you know it's it's a lot of it it's like the gps stuff that that steve talked about with connects on um there's so many, there's a million metrics that you can get out of Connexon or, or any, you know, kind of external load system. Um, and it's figuring out what matters and what doesn't. Well, <laughs> advanced statistics are the same way they, we can measure, they can measure and track. I mean, everything like it's insane, but what matters? So that's the stuff that I think as a sport, I think we are very far behind, but we're also gaining ground quickly in that domain and collaborating with, you know, the, the analytics folks are collaborating with the performance folks now to start to talk about, you know, okay, like, what do you see? What's important to you? Like, almost like the conversation with coaches, like, tell me what, what, a, what's good for a hockey player in your terminology. Same thing with the, the analytics folks. Tell me what's good in your terminology. <laughs> you know, you, you know, those means. objective people aren't saying hockey strong. <laughs> <There>. <laughs> well, but, but, but we have conversations to say, okay, this is, this is what we call hockey strong. And this is what the physical, you know, performance people are considering that. What does that mean to you? Like what, what stats would you have that would show up that would illustrate that to be able to identify is a player, you know, cause again, hockey strong as well. The guy, he get he gets out competed on the boards, you know, well, that's a very subjective thing but maybe there's an objective way of identifying. Yeah. So those are, those are questions yeah. that are we as sub- a field and is a guy a, that's in the D zone suppressing, you know, more shot attempts than, you know, some yeah. driving play the other way, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Right. And so as I think as a field and, and, you know, hockey in general, uh, I think is moving in the direction of starting to ask those questions. Yeah. That's really exciting, man. The, the, my last, my big takeaway, I think from all this is honestly, and this is something I've been thinking for a while and this is just kind of cementing it more for me is that, um, we're no longer really like the weight room guys, you know, like we have to kind of get out there and, and talk about all the stuff and do all the stuff you're talking about. Because I think, like you said, we can, we can create the physical changes, but we can't ignore all the other things that are going into making that player good. And if we can play a role in that, I think that just makes our value that much better. So. A hundred percent. Also, you know, Devin and I will both probably agree on this when we first started out. Uh, not only did both of us probably not know what R was, but did not know that we'd both be trying to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> that is exceptionally true. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've scooped that up this, this, uh, this year I'm doing minimal work on it and I'm, I'm not good at it. It's not good. <laughs> Join the club, man. Join the club. It, it's a process. That's, that's the word for it. Hey, no, well, you're, uh, you're, but I just want to touch on that just real quick as we finish, like your points well taken. Like I think 15 years ago, you could be a quote unquote strength coach and that's what you did. And you made people stronger. Um, I don't think I, there's still folks that that's what they do, but I think to work at higher levels, to be at higher levels and really to, to have an impact. Um, I think you have to, people need to move beyond that and be more than just a weight room guy or, or girl. Like th these are things that, you know, I'm a, my title is director of performance. I'm a performance scientist. Well, what the hell does that mean? I'm a strength coach that uses information. Like that's all, that's how I think of it. Like I, I'm still a strength coach and Steve's the same way. Like, but you've got to be able to do those things now to better understand the end game. The end game is, is helping your athletes perform in whatever that, that is. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love it. Um, dude, uh, thank you both for, for coming on. Really appreciate it. This is really exactly what I hoped it would be. So I truly appreciate your guys' time. Um, both you guys, Devin first, uh, any projects you're working on social media, anything you want to promote, please have at it. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, follow me at, uh, at D McConnell, uh, 29, both, uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm pretty active on both, uh, fair amount of pictures of my kids on uh, Instagram. <laughs> so if you don't want to see that and just follow on Twitter, but, um, no, no big projects at this point. Uh, I do have a book, uh, that that's been out for a couple of years. If you're interested in the sports science stuff, uh, it's called intent. Uh, that you can look up. It's on Amazon or kind of anywhere else. Um, well, I did but, not know that. I'm going to be going to Amazon right after this. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, intent, a, pra a, practi thanks. a practical application for sports science. Steve loves it. I appreciate it. <laughs> five out of five would recommend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. That's a good book. Steve, how about you, man? Yeah. Um, I'd say Devin's probably a little bit more active than I am, but I mean, you could give me a follow on Twitter. It's at svolik0927. Um, I'll throw something out there every once in a while or maybe a good retweet or two. Um, and then I'm on Instagram, but it's more probably personal stuff than like more or less training. So no kids yet, but but yeah <laughs> dude uh don't let don't let steve fool you for all the listeners out there he was on all the uh the joe Erdos strength coach chats this summer and and he he drops knowledge so don't let him fool you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm humble about it <laughs> all right guys hey thank you both so much truly appreciate the time and uh, all the best going into next season whenever that's going to start so <laughs> Let us know if you find out when. Yeah. Oh, I got you. I got, I got, <laughs> Bet, I got Batman on speed dial. I got you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.